Welcome back to another episode of RPG Archive, the show where we uh, look at RPGs of the past, play them, talk about them, and then shove them in the archive. And today we're wrapping up quite the trilogy, Dragon Quest III. Woohoo! For the legacy, this is where the story begins and ends. <laughs> And of course, I wouldn't do it with anybody else except for Teddy. Hey, Spencer. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and also conclude this epic saga in the Dragon Quest lineage. Yep. Uh, we did one, we did two, and now we're wrapping it up with three. And then who knows where we'll go from here. I'm sure we'll figure that out. I wonder if numbers go higher than three. Um, of course, you're from Majority. So check out that YouTube channel. And then, of course, we do the button mappers uh, together with Alex. So go check out that show as well. Links will be below. I've probably forgotten to put links below before. I'm really going to make an honest effort to put them in there. <laughs> you can also Google it. <laughs> also <laughs> use Google. Um, we talked about Dragon Quest three before or 2 before. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. This is going to be quite the step up, Dragon Quest Three. I know you're ready to do the comparisons. <laughs> yeah, uh, they will come shortly, I'm sure. Um, but before we do that, let's talk about the making of Dragon Quest Three. Uh, one of our first links is going to be from Shmupulations, which Shmuplations, sorry, which does a really good interview with uh, Yuji Horii for Dragon Quest Two. Um, this time, he, they did one for Dragon Quest III. So, Dragon Quest III is actually one of the first games... Well, it's definitely... I don't know how to say that. But I'll say it's the uh, first game in the series with a battery for in Japan. So, this is a... Did, oh, so the other ones worked with a password system. Right, right. Yeah, you could sort so of see it. on the NES, this one had a battery, so you could do the built-in saves. Yeah. Which the complexity certainly calls for it. This one uh, I don't think would be possible. Unless the, pa the password was like 8,000 characters long or something. Metroid was bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, he talks a little bit about intelligent quests and monsters. Uh, let me pull that part up. So... This one's actually with Nakamura, who is, I believe, the designer, and Hori. And he says, there are dumb monsters and there are intelligent monsters. Hori says, for example, with, with monsters that can use magic, the dumb ones will keep trying to cast the same spell even after their MP is gone. But smart ones will try something else. Take a monster who can cast um, Revive or Vivify. The spells can revive fallen comrades if he's a smart monster after he's used up all his magic points, he'll try and cast Rob Magic, steal some MP, and revive another monster. So, it's pretty impressive. Did you ever notice, like, when you go into a battle with, like, a mimic, and then it casts a spell, and it immediately does not have enough magic power for the spell that it knows? You know what? I don't know if I noticed that, but that's hilarious that you would try to cast <laughs> it without ever having used mana at all before. <laughs> it's bizarre. Why have it as a spell if it doesn't have enough MP for it? <laughs> it's not the only monster that that's uh you know that that has that issue but it's kind of a quirk yeah i i wonder if there's a scaling thing 
and it somehow was like scaled to have that but you got like the lowest level monster that couldn't have enough mana for it i don't know that's a weird mm. that's a weird situation mm-hmm. another thing is when they cast these kind of like one hit kill moves i think it does level matching so if your level's higher than the monster those kind of spells don't work but it, it'll say something like but the spell failed or there's not enough magic power yeah um uh, okay well he also talked a little bit and this was recent and i just wanted to get this in there and then you know eventually we'll move away totally but he did talk briefly about a remake um let me talk this about this a little bit there's been plenty of talk about the final fantasy 7 remake but are there any plans for an hd remake of dragon quest or dragon quest 2 i hope it is being considered that was what the guy asked him. This is on Silicon Era. Uh, Yu Miyaki, series executive producer, said, I want to do it. After making Dragon Quest XI, I learned that it can be pretty tough to make a full HD game. It's kind of a weird thing to say. Maybe that's a language thing. Um, hmm. Where to concentrate our resources and such. We talked about a Dragon Quest Three remake about four to five years ago. But if anything, we should probably make Dragon Quest Twelve instead. And he laughs. There are also other series, and we have a new development line, so perhaps when the timing is right, for now we don't have any plans for a Dragon Quest III remake, but there's still room for consideration. There's a ton of versions of this game, a surprising amount. (laughs) Yeah. There's, of course, the original NES cartridge. Then they had the technically Super Nintendo version, which is only in Japan, legitimately. (laughs) There's the uh, Game Boy Color cartridge, then there's phone ports, then there's the port of the phone port to the Switch. That's true. And so now there's speculation about a possible remake for either the first two games and or three. Is that something you're interested in? I think yes. I am interested in a one through... You have to do all three, though. A one through three remake. Although I don't know if I'd put them all in the same game, maybe maybe still split them up. Because you do like one of those uh, like trilogy packs, yeah. You know where you can pick from the games. Exactly. Yeah, something like that. Because I wouldn't want to put them all together because I think three loses some of the uh, wow factor if if you just kind of put it all in the same thing. Uh, and you really couldn't transition from one to two to three very well anyway. I mean, you, you could get creative and find a way. But I think keeping them separate is the right idea. Well, technically, that's what they did on the Game Boy Color, too, because they had the Dragon Quest one and two cartridge, and then they had the Dragon Quest three cart. Mm-hmm. So they were already thinking in, in that line. Now, let's talk about this. This is pretty interesting. Dragon Quest three is a precursor to the first two games, but it's the third game. It's the beginning and the end. Right. Do you find it odd or do you enjoy playing this game after having come fresh off of one and two? Um, I love it. I, I love that it... You could almost see it... Well, no. From a timeline perspective, it's not. But from a player's perspective, it's almost cyclical. Um you play one and two and you see the progression, not in the actual game, but in the development of the game, it getting better and better. And then three is the masterpiece. And then ironically leads you back to thinking about one and two again. 
which is fun and different than any most RPGs I can think of. Mm. How about you? Yeah, it was weird for me to step back. And also the connections to the first two games aren't super apparent early on. As the game progresses, you see those connections. So by the end, I was like, oh, okay. But early on, I was like, you know, it's a little jarring um, stepping back in the timeline mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, like how this prefolds everything that comes. Yeah. Yeah, I could see I could see modern gamers not being too thrilled, but there are other games that have put themselves as sequels and then turned out to be prequels. Uh, Metal Gear Solid is one. That game's kind of a mess anyway, but it certainly yeah. still, te- still counts. And I'm sure there's a million others. Um, and I know there's more, but they're not coming to my head right now. But uh, but I think it's it's acceptable. I think what Dragon Quest III delivers is the big... The, the fact that it's the big twist, that it's the prequel, mm-hmm. makes it more unique than those because those those like it's kind of the selling point is that it's a prequel this one you have no idea it might as well be a different game for you know 80 percent of it so on that note would it make sense to play this game either in isolation or prior to one and two that is a very good question it's a catch-22 because three is all is basically it three is a full-fledged dragon quest game for what we know dragon quest as um so it ironically makes it difficult to go back to the games it's pointing you to because they're you know one is as about as basic as you can get and two is is like it's like remember three okay let's strip away like half of the good points of that and then you have two um i i, I don't i i would still keep the order of play the same um and i think i think it makes three's wow factor even even better once you once you realize what it is Oh, yeah. If you can put up with the technical limitations of the first two games and even just the gameplay limitations for the genre of the turn-based RPG and what was, you know, readily available at the time, you're in for a treat with three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's great that it, it wraps itself up in such a nice bow. You almost think it should be the end of the NES thing, but I guess it <laughs> didn't quite work out that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like when you say that you beat one through three and know about it, you're like, oh, yeah, I played the NES lineage of Dragon Quest and it was pretty good. You could almost forget that four was also tacked on at the end. And is I think oh, yeah. <laughs> you and I consider probably <laughs> better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Once you get past this trilogy, the rest of the series is a different ballpark. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think both of us are very, <laughs> very excited. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some bugs. I hate bugs. You don't like bugs? <laughs> no, they're icky and gross. <laughs> um, by In the original edition, by selecting parry in the combat menu, the, ca- the damage a character takes in battle is cut in half, even if the player backs out and selects a different command. This bug is mentioned in the official guidebooks, but it is fixed in the remakes. That's pretty slick. <laughs> if you were Wait, to, so yeah what's the difference parry cuts your the attack done to you in half yeah that's like your de- what your defend 
So, so what's the bug about that? So the bug is if you, you choose parry, but then you like go back and say, no, I don't want to parry. I want to do something else. You still get the benefits from parry. Oh, and that's just in the NES cart or? It looks like it says it's in the, it's in, it's fixed in the remake. So I guess in both America and Japan, it's in there. Mm. So that comes, ironically might be easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're willing to take the time to parry every time. It's vastly different than Dragon Quest 2 where the final <laughs> boss had a heal all spell. <laughs> um. You can get a leaf of the world tree by searching in a square near Rimmeldar. This square right. has the same coordinates as the world tree grove in the overworld. Okay. Interesting. Under certain circumstances, metal slime monsters will take 10 points of damage instead of one or two. Well, I would like to see those instances. <laughs> I, I will tell you what, though. the trick That bee dragon trick, you got to do speed up with uh, one of your characters and have the sage be dragon and it turns into a dragon and the next uh, attack it does on the second turn if they have to run away it's like 92 damage whoa that's they the only hit. need like four to die yeah you know and if you're coming in them in packs it attacks the entire you know thing of monsters oh, it out kill- there. it's like an aoe yeah wow. Ta- attack all enemies is that it? no what is aoe um well that's funny it's, that's actually also kind of how it is in dragon quest but it's a AOE is a more of a phrase that means area of effect. Means it's, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a whole area attack. Wow. That's pretty good. That's a good tip. Mm-hmm. Um, the level requirements for wizards to learn Frostburn and Ice Spears are switched. Whatever. Mm. Some stats cycle if they're raised above 255. Oh, this has been fixed in the remakes. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> go back to so it would go back to... Oh, that's rough. Thank God they fixed that. It is possible to create a party of only deceased characters by exploiting the paralysis status condition. This was first thought to be only possible using the Dream Ruby, but has since been proven possible using paralysis induced by monsters. This glitch allows the manipulation of memory within the game, producing a wide range of effects and possibilities. I don't know. You got to do some digging to understand what that is. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't understand that. I guess it just means you can walk around with a party of coffins. we're kind of sick yeah by casting raw magic on monsters that have the bounce effect the cast gains a lot of mp instead of losing some doesn't say it was fixed either so there you go um there's some remake stuff i'm not going to get into that um let's one of them was really cool though uh in pachisi which is a you know like the board game yeah that's introduced in the remakes um, there are certain like you know s- squares when you land on them, it reduces your status points. And if you fight immediately after having lost status points, it gives you like a massive XP gain, and you can get to level ninety nine by doing that. That is listed here. Yes, it says if the player lands on a space which reduces his or her strength, it is common that the next battle fought will cause the character's experience to skyrocket. Often, this leads to the character being level ninety nine immediately. The glitch, this is weird. The glitch seems to be intentional or at least acknowledged by the creators as if you attempt to save at the king before the next battle. He says, you have gained experience in an unusual way (laughs) and it will become clear to you in battle. Oh, that's great. (laughs) What is that like? That's like a, that's one of those self-aware things or it's... It's Mr. Rossetti Rossetti and Animal Crossing or something. Dude, we came up with that the exact same time. (laughs) 
there's another one though where he like calls you out on cheating to like get to not Rossetti, but like it's like a Pokemon Stadium minigame. So I don't know exactly, but it's like where you cheat to get to the end and they say, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it though. I don't know what it is. That's phenomenal. You know what? You know what the funny thing is though? Um, when I was playing the version I was playing and that would happen to me in Pachisi and my, my, I would lose my stats. I would immediately go back to the saved game that I had recently had. Mm. I would just load wherever I was saved before because I could not bear to see my character losing like five points of strength out of like 40. Dude, I would do that too. The game is, <laughs> the game is a stat grind. <laughs> uh-huh. Absolutely. And it just feels wrong to have a character weaker than he's supposed to be. Even if you don't even notice, it's just yeah. like, it's not right. Yeah. Weird sidebar. I was in a D&D party once and there was a rogue who had like a lot of charisma and the guy did a thing where if you got hurt a certain amount, you would lose, you would lose a stat based on a dice roll and he lost one point in charisma and he cried and stopped playing. Wow. (laughs) For for life? Uh, For our party. I don't, I don't know what he's Uh, done with his life. I hope something better. All the best. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe maybe you should stop playing D anD D. That's that's all I'm saying. Well, hopefully his stat points have come back by now. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the release of Dragon Quest Three, catch and release. <laughs> it came out in Japan on the family computer in 1988. It came out in North America in 1992. Both of these wow. were the, the NES. So four-year difference. And by that time, SNES is out now. Yes. 91 or 92. Uh, Genesis is 89. Um, for, reference, <laughs> for reference, in 1998, Final Fantasy II came out December of that year. The actual Final Fantasy II. That seems kind of mm. normal. Dragon Quest Three, Final Fantasy Two, Dragon Quest First. Okay, yeah. In America in 1992, Final Fantasy Two had released on the SNES that year, and this is Final Fantasy Four. Yeah, <laughs> which oh, is wow. like a really good game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm telling you, this series' fate in the West was just, you know, it was preordained. That it was not destined to do well. No, not at all. An NES game releasing in the same year as a Super Nintendo classic. In the same Everything game. about it is messed up. Like, you know, we looked at the box art last time and we said like how they were going with the Conan art style. We've talked about how it's been years in passing. And now this one, there's a whole new console out by the time it's out. Yeah, what a mess. What an absolute disaster. And just a damn shame because, like, this is arguably the best of those originals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and nobody cared. Nobody cared. And if we look at the stats, we can see here, according to woodus.com, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Whatever. Um, In Japan. So if we look at Dragon Quest 1, according to this site, um, it's sold. And these, these are according to Famitsu. So they seem pretty legit, but who knows? Whatever. Famitsu says NES Dragon Quest 1 sold in Japan 1.5 million copies. Dragon Quest 1? 1. Okay. Dragon Quest 2 sold 2.4 million copies. Okay. Dragon Quest 3 sold 3.8 million copies. So we're just seeing we're just seeing the series blow up right time. 
whereas Dragon Warrior One in America was five hundred thousand copies, and we know a lot of that was likely the giveaway. Dragon Warrior Two was one hundred and fifty thousand copies. <laughs> That's quite a dip. And Dragon Warrior Three was ninety five thousand copies, so it didn't even break a hundred. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That makes sense though, because like you know, late in the life cycle games usually don't sell particularly well. No, no, and not when. I mean, Super Nintendo is like getting into the heyday of RPGs, and you're getting some NES game. Mm-hmm. Not even close. No. Mm. Yeah, that that's super unfortunate. I mean, that like you said, that just ordains Dragon Quest to be like low tier worthless in america Mm -hmm. and it's such a it's so crazy to see just such a stark contrast between the two like japan and america dragon quest is like the biggest thing ever in america people you know people like within probably even now if i mention maybe not now but five years ago if i mentioned dragon quest they're like what's that (laughs) (laughs) i think now with 12 or sorry with 11 and some of the other stuff it's a little more known but Man, Dragon Quest has always just been low tier in America. Yep. The NES era really goes to show that for you. The NES, they're like, what's an RPG? (laughs) Um, Let's talk about how it was received. Uh, I usually like to use Famitsu, but I don't see it on here. And I only want to do fam. Oh, Famitsu, here it is. And this is kind of weird. But uh, it was reviewed... On, by Famitsu at 30 out of 40. Wow. I don't know. I kind of put it higher than that. Maybe they yeah, were... especially considering two scored higher than one. It was like a 37 or something. Yeah. It's been a big year. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo Power gave it four out of five. In some of these, I don't know the year, so just bear, it could have it could have been like another version. But IGN gave it a 10 out of 10 for what it's worth. Okay. Um, EGM gave it a 7 out of 10. Again, I'm not sure exactly the versions on that, but according to Metacritic, it is a 71 out of 100. But that says... Oh, that's the Switch version. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to comment on that one. Uh, reviews say uh, a survey conducted by Famitsu in early 2006 among its readers placed Dragon Quest III as the third most favorite game of all time. Whoa. I don't know if I put it there. Um, Third most favorite game? Yes. In early 2006. Oh, my goodness. Being preceded only by Final Fantasy X. Gross. And Final Fantasy VII. All right. Okay. It is... Okay. I love this line. It is often mistakenly thought that in 1988, the game's success caused the Japanese government to outlaw further releases of Dragon Quest games on school days. In truth, Enix themselves decided to hold off the release of future Dragon Quest games until weekends. Mm -hmm. I guess to make more money? I I don't know. There must must be a money benefit there. Which Mm. is is weird because in modern days, Tuesday is is a typical release day. I don't know if that's in Japan, but in America. It's Tuesdays and Fridays if you're Nintendo and want to live by your own rules. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The North American release of Dragon Quest III did not meet nearly as much success. Considered an improvement over the first two games, Dragon Quest III, quote, kept the same ugly graphical style and clumsy interface, end quote, explained Kurt Kalata of Gamasutra. The North oh Gamasutra. 
The North American release's poor sales are partly due to the fact that the game was released after the release of 16-bit gaming systems, making it seem archaic to gamers. Critics found the new day-night system and the addition of an in-game bank praiseworthy. Its reputation has risen in America since its release primarily due to the gameplay innovations, leading Nintendo Power to list it as number 176 <laughs> on their top 200 games list. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Let me just say that um, in trying to play this game for this archive edition, I was just going through every single version I could get my hands on uh, to dabble with. And at one point I seriously considered playing the NES version. And so I dabbled with it for a little bit. And I could not believe how behind the times it was. You know how like Pokemon Gen 1 to Gen 2 made so like there's so many quality of life improvements? Yeah. You could say the same about anything post NES Dragon Quest. <laughs> you had to go in the menus and you had to select, you know, you in order to talk to someone, you normally just go up and you press A, you talk to them. Right. On the NES versions, you would have to go up, go to the menu, go to talk, and then talk to the person and then end that way. Wow. And that was just an example of like ways that it was just like that much more, um, I don't know, uh, cumbersome in order to really experience. So I gave up on that real fast and I found a different way to play it. When people talk about playing the oldest version of a game, I'm always just like, good luck, man. I want the quality of life improvements. Sorry. <laughs> I'll take I'll take even other shortcomings just to get those because I do not deal with that. I don't play nice with NES mechanics. Well, that's just going back so far. It's like because this is eighty eight is the original and ninety two. Yeah. We're going on a thirty year game here. Yep. This game's older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's. It, it hurts to hear that one review by Mr. Kurt Collada, but he's probably not wrong. Same ugly. I mean, at the time, thing. yeah, it, the graphics are terrible on the NES. It looks like you, I don't know. They just look like little Microsoft paint things without the outlines. Yeah. The pixels are bold. Yeah. They're bold. They're smudgy. They're square. It's bad bad probably not until you get to like the battles is it decent but yeah it just hasn't aged particularly nicely today and i'm sure even then like it was noticeable it's crazy to see famitsu listing it as top as third most favorite game of all time i think we can cycle back to that like you know as we kind of delve into the you know the makings of this game because there's certainly a lot here that we're we haven't quite touched on it's true it's true well you ready to jump in? <laughs> let's, let's let's go into the world of of Dragon Quest. All right, Dragon Quest Three, um, also known as Dragon Quest Three: The Seeds of Salvation, and that's for the remakes. Um, let's talk about the plot real quick. And this is I'm getting this off of DragonQuest.famdom.com. It's the Dragon Quest Three wiki. Dragon Quest 3 is set many years before the original Dragon Quest in a world bearing great similarity to the real world. Oh. A wicked fiend, Baramos, threatens to destroy the world. The hero, son or daughter, you can choose to be either male or female. Wow. Progressive. Of the legendary Ortega, recruits up to three traveling companions and sets out to defeat Baramos. Only to find later... Okay, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, you're out to defeat Baramos. Pretty standard mm -hmm. Dragon Quest, right? Mm-hmm. No, because you get the female. And also, um, 
this one has a, a fun little cutscene in the beginning of the game where your father, Ortega, is fighting a dragon. And if you actually just let the credits roll for a second, uh, or not the credits, the start menu, it gives you a whole intro cutscene that you wouldn't see if you started the game. Wait, what? Did I miss? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, it gives you the story of Ortega going to the volcano to go fight Baramos. Oh, my God. I had no clue. Just let the game play for a little bit. It doesn't matter what version you're playing, NES, SNES, Game Boy. It's going to show you that cool little cutscene. It's, it's super cool. That's awesome. I had no idea. That That's freaking cool. Um, and so that's like a little extra plot. Otherwise, you would start off in the beginning knowing, oh, your father, you know, you're going to go in the footsteps of your father. You know, you talk to the king and he sets you off. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm going to go do that after we do this. I, I want to see that. <laughs> it's great. You should, yeah, do like a little comparison of all the versions. I, maybe not all of them. We could leave that phone port alone for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> the iOS. Yeah. You, I, I laughed at you saying that the game was based on the real world. Um, <laughs> you know what the connection is, right? Yeah, yeah. The map? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's the world. <laughs> it's just like real life. Hey, that's Africa. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, maybe I'll stop there. <laughs> uh, okay, so the game's starting, but before we talk about the hero, we both played the Super Nintendo version. Oh, in, yeah. In the most legit of ways, of course. Um, and we got something a little bit different than the original NES did. We got a little questionnaire. <laughs> well, the Game Boy Color version also has this. Right, right. This is an, and so this is a remake only feature. Were you uh, were you blown away by this? Were you expecting this? So let me say I've played this game when I was like eight years old or something really young, and I I sucked at this game. And obviously, it's really hard to do this this kind of old school RPG without a guide. And so I wasn't up on like game facts, looking up guides. I was just playing it, trying to enjoy it. Um, but I remember playing it at the time and being kind of blown away, standing on a mountain, answering existential questions about my <laughs> my, my life. Like, and and what would you do, to, you know, to show respect to your families? Would you would you walk with them in grace, or would you, you know, walk into the valleys of darkness? And, and you know, I was like eight year old me is like, uh, grace. And, um, Whatever you gets know, me to the obviously. Slimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, like doing it nowadays, like, you know, it's it, it kind of reminds me. I think this is like Pokemon Mystery Dungeon kind of steals this, you know, mm -hmm. like where you answer those questions before and like it affects who your character is. I don't think the effect is as strong as is in like those kind of games, but it is a cute little feature to like give you a bit more personalization over your character. But ultimately one that is like just kind of neglected over the course of the narrative, except for one moment where you tell the guy your birthday. Mm. can you elaborate on that it comes up later in the game so i don't want to uh mention it too much but um okay okay Men in, make in sure the second half of the game there's a moment where your character's birthday is brought up i will say that okay make sure you bring that up again because i vaguely recall that and i don't remember what the payoff is eh, payoff uh, we'll, we'll get to it okay okay um, let's talk about the hero here. Obviously, the hero is not necessarily like we can't give you here's what your hero. I mean, there's a general layout of what the hero looks like. He looks like that dude that's more traditional. He's got the the cool hair. And I think he's even in Smash, the new Smash. 
Mm. Um, I think he's a character there. So you, if you want to look at what he looks like, but you can be a boy or a girl and technically, well, no, in this one, he is just the hero. So it can be him or a girl that I guess looks similar to that. Um, <laughs> mm. uh, what do you think about that? Where, where in, instead of, in this game, you don't get a hero that necessary like that that is more personalized, and is yeah yeah. What do you think about that? Um, well, I've never played as the female, interestingly enough, in this game. Um, so I don't know. Like, uh, there's and it's kind of weird because I, it's never just crossed my mind to pick her. Um, I honestly think of the caricature in Dragon Quest Four is a little bit more memorable for me. Um, but what's really makes this character stand out is the connection to the father mm. and just the fact that you are the child of that father. Who's that hero who went off and has, you know, um, supposedly died in the fight with Baramos. Yeah. I, I, I was kind of disappointed. Um, one, because there's no, there's no, and not that there necessarily should be, but I'm just kind of confused when I see it. It's like, I'm glad that they gave you the option to pick a female. But, like, in what way does that alter anything? Even the pixels look, I mean, almost, you can't even tell. And we're, we're playing the Super Nintendo version. So, it's, mm. I mean, we I can't really tell the difference between a male and a female that well. Um not sure i really got the full benefit of it the and you know what it honestly blends in a little bit with the warrior class and the sage class which we could i guess i'm we're kind of leading into it but the Mm -hmm. class system yeah so the the visual distinction is not that different than the other characters but there is a technical distinction between the hero in this game and the hero in dragon quest 2 what's that in Dragon Quest Two, your hero was nerfed because he didn't have magic power. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> you're not pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not gimped. You got balls. Uh, <laughs> magic balls. Actually, the game is full of balls because you know, it's the all the balls that you got to collect, like in the first game. You know, you had to get the the light ball or whatever. Yeah, the ball of light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, there's something about the balls in Dragon Quest. <laughs> <the> Dragon Quest. <laughs> So we got some kind of focus there. That's something to do with true. magic and balls, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's very true though. You you are more akin to Dragon Quest One's hero, in that you mm. kind of you're kind of a jack of all trades character. You have attack spells, you have healing spells, you got like leader spells. You've got, um, I mean, more advanced certainly because their spell catalog has multiplied. <laughs> mm. It's a lot oh, more goodness. complicated and complex. Yeah. Um, and really what dictates, you know, your character, and we'll get into this in a little bit, um, is really more just your personality. Dictates a lot of how you grow as a character as opposed to anything else. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Let me move on to classes, as you were kind of alluding to. This is the first... Now, now I don't want to say this. It might. It's probably not true, but it probably is true. This is the first game with classes. I don't know that for a fact, but first video game, like console video game, because I know obviously PC, they have classes on there, but console video game with classes. This might be it, or certainly it's one of the first. Um, this is the first iteration for us, I'm sure, for Dragon Quest of classes. What did you think of it? 
My gosh, man. You could spend hours at Ruida's Tavern just trying to create the best team. It is so personalizable, and as somebody who likes the intricacies of the competitive Pokemon scene, it's not something I've dabbled in in a while. I love this. I could spend hours uh, throughout the game making sure that my party is the best it possibly can be, and I just obsess over those little things, and I love it. I love it. Oh, there's How nothing. Do you feel about it? There's nothing like it. And that's one of my things with Etrian Odyssey that, that I talk to people about that I, I don't think most people like it. And that's fine. It's, it's not a requirement of <laughs> anything. But I love in Etrian Odyssey that you don't have to give a shit about this character's backstory and this character's relation with the world and do this. It's like I want my character, uh, uh, Jebediah, to be a warrior and I want him to kick ass. Like that's kind right. of my thing. And, and I want him to grow so that he kicks more ass. And <laughs> he's freaking awesome. Yeah. And I love that the game's like level one. Who do you want? You want a guy that kicks ass? Here you go. You want a guy that uh, gas healing spells? There you go. Do you want a chick that's burning people alive with fire? Here you go. You, you make it and you, it's your journey. It's your people. And to that extent, it's so much better than dragon quest two, where you do have characters that matter, but also are just completely pointless. Um, Every single yeah. one of your characters in Dragon Quest II sucks. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. I never even thought about that. The hero sucks. The side characters suck. Yeah, your your hero is like, all he can do is attack. And I'm talking about Dragon Quest II. Um, you're like the Prince of Kanic has some decent spells, but he's weak. The, um, I, I forget what her title is. The, uh, the female character. Moonbrook, I think. Yeah, Moonbrook Princess. Uh, she has some healing spells, but she sucks. And so by the end of the game, you're fighting with only a party of three against like a giant evil Satan spawn, you know, like <laughs> that, that will decimate your team <laughs> as well as just like that final area in that game. And it's just cruel in this game. You really do feel empowered. Yeah. And, and think about all the games, including final fantasies that, that at this point were just like your character is, and all the other characters are the characters on the stat sheet. And this is your this is your character versus in this one. I think from the start you have the hero, and then you can pick three characters to take with you on your quest. Mm -hmm. And the classes include warrior, uh, thief, um, fighter, cleric, mage, jester, and dealer. Seven classes, and you can between those you can pick male or female. And you get five free stat upgrades to upgrade any stat you want. The possibilities are endless. Yeah, what a great way to start. Like, I don't even care if the game's <laughs> great. At this point, you just you gave me a party that is so customizable. And, you know, like we've talked about, like, the feeling of inclusion and, you know, with your, with your characters and this kind of like, you know, can you relate with them or whatever. It's not that any of them say a thing. You can't talk to them. There's no dialogue. But... They are like your little minions and like it, like you were saying, if you want that warrior that kicks ass, you got it. If you want that thief that's going to steal items from characters, you got it. If you want like a just stupid jester character to make jokes the whole time and get worse as you go on the game, you can have that. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing in and of itself to, to be able to pick a, a clown of a character. I don't know any other game that does that. Do you know that he does have a purpose? Yeah. At level 20. Okay. <laughs> <I do. laughs> So shit on the jester, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but if you just keep him a jester, he's gonna be 
let's just say funny <laughs> yeah no you're totally right you're totally right it's it's it makes this game even if you see flaws in it which i guess there are but it's you know this game you lets you pick a party and just go into the world like how many games i i mean final fantasy one technically did that um Wow, that kind of nullifies a lot of things. Anyway, <laughs> that was Final Fantasy One's deal, but still, this is Dragon Quest, and it, it. I like that it hadn't done that before, and it, it just it's this thing that it grew into, and does it with such. And we'll get into it when we get to the Abbey, but it, when we talk about all trades, but um, it does it with so much style, yeah. and 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 yeah, we'll get we'll get way more into it with the with the Abbey, but. Um, the other thing about this is, you know, yes, Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy uh, prides itself on its, you know, fantastical elements. Dragon Warriors always felt a bit more close to home, and even the silly inclusions like a map or, you know, of the world or whatever, you know, I guess it's not really like that effective at creating this kind of like um, realistic portrayal. But the real humanization of those type of characters and even the sense of them feeling like, um, really medieval. It just sticks true to its its uh, its identity as a Dragon Quest style game. Absolutely. Well, you know, Dragon Quest Two had just had come out in the December. Dragon Quest Two came out the December of the year this came out. I can't remember exactly what what date this came out. Maybe it lists it here. Um, nineteen ninety eight. Come on, where are you? Come on. Well, come on, man. Well, I can't find it exactly. I'm sure it's it's somewhere, but I, I could just Google it. I'm sure. But I wonder if Dragon Quest Three was made in response to to Final Fantasy One. It's just like, whoa, they got classes. We got to get classes. Because mm. because Dragon Quest Two came out probably after, or sorry, Final Fantasy Two mm-hmm. came out probably after Dragon Quest Three. So obviously, one came out first. So mm. yeah, I wonder if they kind of look back and forth and was like, hey, we got to add that. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Certainly better than two system. <laughs> <laughs> if you can even call it that. Um, okay, so you go out into the world, you do these little quests. Um, this one has a key system that's also permanent, kind of like the other. But you get a key pretty much right away in this game, uh, which is yeah, cool. you need it. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty cool to kind of go back and forth to um, that quickly. Yeah, um, and the world opens up fairly quickly, and, and we're going to talk a lot about the world. Um, in fact, we should just probably get into that. Um, it's hard to say exactly where to start because I don't like, you know, I don't like going through the story. Um, I think that's kind of boring and and doesn't really serve anybody. Um, but I do want to talk about a really early standout, uh, which to me, and you feel free to throw in a standout as well. Um, but I'll pick one first, and it, it would be the king of, I can't remember the town. But there's a king in a town who... Hates his job so much that he asks people to be the king in his stead. Yeah. Um, this is the first of many moments where I'm playing this game and I'm like, I have never seen anything like this in any other game. And this is like from the NES. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's definitely, it's jarring when you're doing it too, if you're not like using a, a walkthrough because it's early in the game and you don't really need the walkthrough by that point. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're trying to find the right next move to do. And then you just like recovered like the, the cane or whatever it is for the king. And he's like, wow, that's so great. Do you want to be king? And so you get the crown and then he's off gambling. 
Isn't he betting on monster fights? Right, which is one of the new little uh, <laughs> gambling things you can do. And he's just over there hanging out, bit like betting on fights. He's like, ah, oh, I lost again for the 30th time. And like, you know, everyone's <laughs> just kind of cheering him on. But it's like his father's up in the top of the castle saying, oh, man, that guy's bringing shame to our damn kingdom. You know, what am, I got to smack some sense into him. Oh, my God. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. And you're just like. You're just like the king, and I noticed this one says that, like this website saying king for a day, which is a good, funny little thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he he just kind of hands it. To you. He's like, "Here, you do it. Bye." And you're just like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and they just like walk around. I guess I'm the king now, but you can't do mm-hmm. shit. Like, there's no, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but I mean, and and think about all the effort that must have gone into coding that. I just think about that. Like way back in the day, like somebody had to code this thing where you're suddenly the king and your your mission kind of stops, and there's no there's no like payoff per se to it. Like it doesn't turn into anything. It's just hey, this king doesn't like to be king, and you can be king for a day. And I just I respect the hell out of that. Like they had mm. no reason to build that, but it's such a great world builder that you just you get to see that. I don't know. I'm surprised. This took that concept that was like somewhat explored in Dragon Quest 2, but never fully realized. I never felt like there was a town that was so standout. Like you remember in, in Dragon Quest 2 where it's like it, it, you come on like one of these uh, territories that's like in the southeastern part of the map um, and, you know, you sleep at the inn and then supposedly you inhaled the darkness and one of your team members goes down <laughs> and then you have to go get a leaf and you come back and you revive him. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just so like. It's it's just such a, a poor example of attempt at like storytelling through the town, but you could tell they were trying. Yeah, the effort was there. And so this is a more realized version of that. There are so many memorable areas and towns to explore, especially once you get the ship mm-hmm. and once you can start exploring that way. Yeah. Because the world really just opens up. You know, that happened in Dragon Quest 2 as well. Like, the you know, the world opens up. But things are just so cryptic in that game. In this one, every area serves a purpose. And, um, you know, one of the areas that you can go once you get the ship is this little island. With, it's, like, kind of mystical. There's, like, these two sage princesses, like, worshipping, like, an altar. And they say, you have to go get the six orbs. And the six orbs are going to bring you know, justice back here or light back here or whatever. And then we can hatch the, the Phoenix Ramia. And, um, you know, I remember in Dragon Quest two, you remember how you got some of those like key orb items? Yeah. And they just, they're like showed up in like a weird part of the venue or something. I, I can't remember. It was just a random patch of grass behind a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no story or anything that goes into it. It's just, it's there. <laughs> Versus in this one, what are some of the orbs that you remember? Oh, I have a specific note to talk about one of them. Um, the first one I remember was awesome. It was seeing the pirates. Yeah. Is, is getting landing near those pirates and being like, oh, yeah, we buried that. Buried treasure. Like, there's a cool little story about buried treasure. And you, yeah. you'd push the rock out of the way, and there it is. Um, that was like, oh. And that, and that kind of reminded me of that one you just mentioned where it was like it's near a tree. Um but but God, if you if you just put a little effort, put a little story into it, like these pirates had it, and it's buried treasure, and you know you go over yeah. there and you find it, you just got to do something like that, and then suddenly it's genius. 
And what's especially genius about this is that throughout the game, although a guide is necessary for parts of it, like there are just some parts that I would not recommend you do without a guide, a lot of this you can do just based on the game's internal gossip system. Just by gossiping with characters in the world, you can find out little tricks of the trade, like, oh, the pirates, they, I hear they have buried treasure in one part of the map. And so you want to talk to every single NPC. When you go to that pirate area, if you go there during the day, did you go there during both times of day, day and night? I don't recall caring about the daytime. So no, I don't think specifically for that one. No. If you went there during the day, there is nobody there. If you went there at night, the entire place is populated with pirates. And they're all like, you know, uh, lollygagging about. Like, you know, there's like a captain of the pirates says like, are you really going to fight Baramos? And then you say, <laughs> yes. You say, she says, I respect you. And so I'm going to oh. tell you the secret. And so there, there are so many cool things, like little, little things like that. There's another town that is drastically different between day and night. Do you know what it is? I don't know the name of it, but it's the cursed town, right? Oh, well, the Cursed Town, definitely. That is definitely one that is you know, drastically different between day and night. Um, because that also entails one of the orbs that you have to get. And that one was like, I, I wouldn't have figured that out on my own. No. Um, but the other one, I think the town is called Isis. It's like the, the area towards the desert. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, did you get the... The puff puff? The puff puff action over there? No, I took some <laughs> advice and I, I, I stayed away. Do you want to know what happens? Sure. I, um, do, I don't know what happens. You have to tell me. You get, offered a, you get offered a puff puff and you say yes. And she takes you up into a room and then the lights turn off. Yeah. And then when the lights turn back on, it's one of those big muscle guys. <laughs> and then you just feel weird. Like that's what, oh. the, that's what the thing is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic catfish. Oh my god! I, just, I remember first when I first did that, I was like, "All right, I'm getting a little puff puff," and then <laughs> we did that, and then I was like, "I cannot believe that made it into like a kids' game." So I know funny. Japan has a different view of things. I'm I'm shocked that it would come to America like that, and and you know that happened to me when I was a kid because I played this when I was a kid, and I must have got the puff puff. <laughs> so maybe I'm just reliving my trauma somehow. <laughs> And a little side note, they completely duplicate that in uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Yeah, you're point. telling me. So, so definitely check it out. If, it. if you want to get, <laughs> you know, if you want to feel weird in HD, that's how you'll do it. Excellent. <laughs> Another uh, cool thing yeah. about that town is they overprice everything. Yeah. And so once you start saying no, because you obviously can't afford it, mm-hmm. they'll barter down prices. And they'll go as low as to say that you're robbing them. And like you actually get some good deals on some of the items there. But uh, it just adds like that much more personality to the town. Well, how many games now have a barter system? Like that's that's so Oblivion. genius. But it's just so that one's like, OK, you can like move on the left or right on the scale. But I don't know. Yeah, it is genius. Yeah. Th- yeah. It's it's in this game was in the NES era. Like, mm-hmm. and I'll probably keep reiterating that that it's, this game is in the NES era because some of the things are so forward thinking. It it just blows my mind that they would have. It seems like they wanted to try a lot of things and actually succeeded in in most of them. Yeah, uh, which is kind of impressive. Um, I do want to talk about. We were talking about the six orbs. Let's talk about some of the weirder quests in this game. And the one big standout to me is of, the dealer quest. The, the dealer quest. Yes. Is, 
I have never <laughs> in every any <laughs> RPG I've ever played come up with a quest like the dealer quest. This is use the damn walkthrough that or just listen to us because we're gonna give you the rundown. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a town. And it's it would be over by Russia, I guess, or over over, <laughs> over on the very very far east, Japan, Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be Japan, um, and it's it's just a weird patch of of land in between some trees, and you you go there and they're like, we need to build this, but we don't know how. What are you gonna do um, to to solve this weird problem? Which it doesn't. I mean, maybe it tells you like in the gossip somewhere, but you have to put a dealer or a merchant, whatever you call him, into your party and then travel over there. doesn't matter what level he is. And then he goes, hey, I'm going to take off. I'm going to help this town. And then he leaves your party. Like, it just, it ends. You go back there later, it becomes the town of whatever his name was. Like, I named mine Bart because I was watching The <laughs> Simpsons, I think, at the time. And it became like Bartsville or something like that. It's like Bartville or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. Ville, I think they end up, put at the end. And... You constantly go back as you do your quests, and the town builds up and blossoms into probably one of the bigger towns in the game. And it's got life, and it's got all these people. But you notice it, it could end right there and already be the craziest story, <laughs> like one of the weirder quirks in gaming. But it, it goes an entire step further and becomes a story about how the merchant then becomes corrupted and greedy and takes advantage of the people and makes them work long hours and takes all the money for himself. <laughs> yeah. And this guy, he could have been your party member. Like, he totally wasn't because I'm not going to put a dealer in my party. But he could have been your party member. And and he turned into this monster to the point that the villagers try to and successfully upheave him and throw him in jail. And so the jail that he built, he ends up in... And needs you to help bail him out, and you do. And he learns this crazy lesson about not, you know, respecting people. What a beyond the like. There's nothing like that in any game, and it it's like a complete story. It blows me away that this made it into an NES game. Mm-hmm. There's a whole political narrative there that I think was just limited by the console possibilities, because my entire experience with this. Was an experience in frustration. Mm. For starters, there is no gossip about. Okay, I'm not a, crazy. A merchant, like, take yourself a dealer to the guy, and maybe that's what he needs. You do like if you go to this like little Indian village, like to the west. Um, I, I forget what the place is called, Seoul or something. Um, totally worthless town, but um, they tell you. Uh, yeah, there was a guy who settled in the area to the east. Did you see a town? And then you can answer yes or no. And, and they're like, well, I guess he made it. But you don't know that it's there. And so, like, you know, I eventually found it. But then it's not clear. Like, cause it's not a town. It's just a guy in, like, a patch of grass. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I hope to build a town here someday. So, like, somehow you're supposed to make the connection that you have to go back to Ruida's ta- tavern, which you probably haven't done since the beginning of the game. <laughs> no, you probably forgot it existed. I, I didn't even think about it. And so there's that. Then you bring your, your merchant back. You let her stay or him stay. I picked her because it's actually it, it looks like Anna, who is the dealer in later Dragon Quest games. Oh. And so, like, there's some nostalgia there. Yeah. Um, and. You know, so like you come back at different cues because there's like four stages at which you have to come back to this town. 
Right. And so, like, you, the third stage is when the town really blossoms, but you have to have had, like, four or five of the orbs by this point. And then at the final one, when they overthrow the merchant, you have to have gone in the town, talked to the people who are going to overthrow the person, go outside, leave the town, save the game, turn off the game, turn the game back on, and then go back into the town. You can't just stay at an inn. You can't just rest overnight. Maybe it's just the version I was playing, but I went in and out of this town like at, at least five to ten times, not knowing why the story was not progressing. <laughs> it was the last orb I needed. I got oh. all five of the other ones. And so I was just so frustrated at the point. I was like, I don't know if the game is going to finish. But <laughs> <laughs> we played the same version, so I knew there was a way. Yeah. It's, it is so cryptic. And like you said, there are parts of this game you just you flat out need a guide. It's just, it's just not really doable without it. I mean, it is, but it's not. Like, it's, as a gamer in 2021, it's just not really going to happen unless you got a guide. The other five orbs were fine. I had no problem with the pirate orb. I had no problem with Orochi orb. I had no problem with, um, well, okay, so the one in the town that you have to stay overnight, that one, that one got me. But this one, forget it. No, you can't do it. I had to use it for another one. Um, and I don't know the town's name. I, we're going to not remember a lot of town's names. Just deal with it. You'll, you'll understand. But, um, there was one, and this was also a really weird quest where you had to use this potion to become invisible and then yeah, go, and then go, into, to go into the castle yeah, and then go down and like push some boulders around. And I didn't even realize the guy you talked to was like in the same area that, that was like, Hey, you should use this potion to go invisible. I totally didn't even <laughs> get to that. Like I didn't see it. Um, yeah. but that was genius. And, and then, uh, I, I love that. There's like a weird st- almost stealth aspect to a part of the game. They just tried everything. They just tried to literally like, what can we possibly do? And they just said, let's do all of them. Yeah. And there you go. Did you have any Another other? Yeah. 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 One. Yeah, this is the only other one is the one where you have to go inside that like cave in the center of the island and you know like you use the key and the there's a whole back part of the town and Mm -hmm. like if you play Dragon Quest 1 and 2 you know to explore the outskirts of every single town because there might be some area behind it this game pushes that to like a whole new extreme because there's like a town with a whole castle behind it that you wouldn't even know exists (laughs) there's another one that's like it's in Antarctica in the map and Mm -hmm. you go there and it's like this area, it seems like there's nothing there, but you have to follow a very specific trajectory. And there's an old man in a hut in the back who says, I wish to see the cane one day. Like that transforms people. Yeah. Oh my God. I missed that so many times. Just mm-hmm. trying to get, cause everyone, there's a couple of people that point you there and they're like, yeah, just keep going Northwest. You'll find it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I did it. I went like literally upright, upright, upright. Didn't find it. Or sorry, Northwest yeah. or whatever. Can't remember. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a trip. That that whole yeah. thing is, uh, it's, I just I admire the drive. Yeah. Even even if maybe and especially we played the Super Nintendo, I can't fathom some of these on the NES. But we we even even with the shortcomings that some of these had, just like the the drive to be different and creative, and like offer weird solutions to this to the problems in this game, are are so impressive. They really put a lot of like, onus on. Like, I don't know, just being being explorative, like wanting to explore 
the characters and the worlds like that town that was being plagued by the dragon orochi and like they had to sacrifice somebody every year first mm-hmm. off i love the music in that uh, that town yeah um it's called g pang and it's really good um especially on the super nintendo version but like you go in the cave you destroy orochi and then you end up in the town again and then the queen is hurt and then like you know like but it's not clear that you fixed everything that was super cool um there's another one like you go in the cave and you can only send the hero and you can't use magic in the cave so it's literally like a whole quest yeah you're really on a quest with your characters like to the end and it's just such a personalized experience and um i think it's beautiful absolutely uh, do you, I don't know if you remember, but in, when we were talking about Dragon Quest Two, the we we looked at the Shmup Blation's interview, and he mentioned that he wanted to make some of these quests sad. Do you remember him saying that he wanted like he wanted to make the ending really depressing because like the king or the the main character is going to get killed by the sister of one of the dudes. He wanted it to be like a tragedy, you yeah. Know, like since that it, you know there was like some human. Uh, humanity to it and they just never quite hit that like uh balance into but i remember yeah well i found that interesting because the, the that horrible horrible ending would have been so dumb and so yeah <laughs> so out of place and so horrible this game had some legitimately tragic moments in it and i was i was taken aback at how much they evolved in their storytelling and mm. their ability to to tell this like through almost, I mean, limited dialogue and, and limited, um, you know, they don't have the music or the, the graphics or the moving or whatever to get these interesting little stories across. And I'm thinking mm. of two in particular, and I'll just mention them and ask you what you think of them. It's the the dwarf, or no, no, sorry, the, the man and the female elf um, who would commit suicide because they weren't allowed to be together. Yeah. Oh, that's another one I needed the walkthrough through for. I had no idea what the hell was happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, not there. There was another part where you had to like sail and use a thing because there was like a song in the ocean or something. And that's the other yeah. tragic one is that's <laughs> is you you found you know there was a, a woman who threw herself off a tower because her loved one had passed away. Yeah. And and she just needed something to remember him by. And you you go and find the sunken ship and you find that piece and then yeah it's a it's that's limitations at their max is just trying to get that thing oh, yeah. to go through. But but man, what tragic stories those are. I'm just so moved that they would include those in there. You know what's the most tragic is you can't do anything about them. Like you can go to the grave and you can go put their souls at ease, but then the elf queen won't even like there's nothing you can do in that town. There's like a little merchant in that little elven town. You can't even talk to them. They're like, we don't deal with humans. Even after you've like, you know, put the the da- the lady's daughter to rest. Yeah. Oh, and the town that freezes over into stone. That's so beautiful. Like you go in there and like the music is literally slowed down. Yeah. Everything's quiet. Everyone's it's... frozen in place. It's like a picture that you can walk through. It's is so that the one bizarre. Where they're, where they're asleep? Yeah, I think it's the village of Knoll or something. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And they're all put to sleep just endlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Like, you just see the tragedy that be... And that's what a tragedy is. Like, that's what yeah. a lot of people don't realize in, in gaming today is that a tragedy is where it ends poorly. It's not where something's sad and then you fix it. Like, yeah. like, like it's, you, are, you are seeing the, ba- the repercussions of some of these actions 
and that, that's just that's what it is you 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 move along with your quest i mean you wake them up but it doesn't necessarily make anything better it's no just, they don't even yeah. know that you saved them <laughs> no one guy is like why is my back hurt <laughs> <laughs> It's, but there are yeah. some even cool moments in there. There's a lady upstairs in the house that says, yeah, it was just yesterday I saw Ortega. Right. Yeah, and, and you follow his quest. I mean, it, and even that, I mean, we, we could talk about that. That is part of the tragedy of the whole thing is you're on a quest to find your dad. And when you find him, you do find him, and then he's dead. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, that one, I, I wanted that to hit me harder than it did. It didn't really hit me. We could talk about that, but do you want to get there first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, okay. that's, that's a little further down the road, but my God. I didn't even think about that being part of it because, yeah, it didn't hit me necessarily either. But this game yeah, has but some... But that like, is true that, like, throughout the story, there are all those little footnotes to Ortega. Yeah. All so for, that's, a, that's a great connection. All for nothing. Well, maybe yeah. not nothing, but... Um, so you get all these things together, and then you get Ramia, which is, or Ramia, or however you want to pronounce it, which is a legendary bird, which we'll actually see in later Dragon Quests, which is nice to mm. see. Um, and this this bird lets you fly around town, which is which is awesome. You get to play, visit even more places that you couldn't reach with the ship, and I, which is a cave, which is yeah, and a <laughs> castle. <laughs> um, well, well, and the, I, I do like about it though that there are no random encounters, so it actually lets you just kind of freely traverse the world map. And is that mode seven? No, it's uh, not quite mode seven, right? Where you're flying around? Because that's on the SNES. They're talking about mode seven, so maybe in the SNES version they had that upgrade. I don't know. Like I noticed, you could scale up and down. Yeah. But in the NES, I doubt that that was a possibility. They probably just had a bird up here and then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. NES, and again, another reason to. If you can play Super Nintendo version in legit ways, <laughs> I really want to talk about that, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll save that because that's a tangent. Oh, oh, okay. Um, but but yeah, you can visit there, and you can visit that one little place in between the the mountains to get the Orb of Light, and that's kind of it. But I guess it's faster than the boat, and it's there's no random encounters, so mm. not that you really need it at that point, but. It's still, I guess, nice to have. <laughs> um, really cool bird. Uh, uh, did it change anything for you? Like, did you were you able to? I mean, did it open the world up, or did you just kind of like, oh, I'm going straight to the next location anyway? The only thing I needed to do is I needed to grind by that point and make sure I had the best equipment possible. And so when I got the bird, the only part of the map I hadn't explored was that like one castle town you need to go to to fight baromos gotcha well speaking of grinding that's a great transition because we've passed over one of the major points of this game and i want to make sure we cover it the all trades abbey mm. let's talk about this because we talked about classes earlier what about changing classes mid-game yeah, the I love going in All Trades Abbey for. Oh no, it's called the t Dharma. Oh Dharma, you're. Oh my God, they're gonna kill me for that. It is the. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to. Calling First it off, all I trades. love the connection that like, I guess it would be in Asia, like in, kind of like, Mongolia, Russia, kind of area in the in the world map there, 
or maybe it's America. I don't know. What what do I know? Um, but you know, I love that it's called Dharma after kind of like Buddhist principle of like understanding suffering and struggle. And in the sense that you suffer because your character returns to level one. Yep. Start but over. You get the added benefit of your, your, you will maintain all skills that your character has learned if they're like a mage or something. Yeah. And all stats will be cut in half, which if they started at level one, they were probably shit to begin with. So having them at half is actually not a bad deal. No, no. It's, I mean, it, it encourages you to do it which is cool. And I probably should have done it for one of my characters, but I didn't, but, um, and you did. So good for you. <laughs> I did that later in the game though. And way late, like by the time I was at the end, when I first got here and I, I had managed to get around level 20 for all my characters, I picked two and I switched them. I made, uh, my mage, a sage, and I made, um, my fighter, a warrior. Yeah. And I did that too. It was weird picking which one to make a sage because um, they learn a bunch of spells anyway. So to make a mage a sage was actually not that necessary. If I could have done this over, I wouldn't have even picked a mage. To begin with? Yes, because the HP on my sage was terrible. He'd always be the first one to go. He had mm. a wicked MP stat and like a lot of good spells, but um, it would have been more beneficial to have... like. Honestly, I want to try the game with a dealer or with a um, a thief and pick one. The thief is not that beneficial, but... When I see a character like the thief in one of these games, I assume it's going to be way too technical for me to use. Like, like you got to put him to sleep and then you can hit, like, backstab him. I, I don't know that for a fact that's how it works, but... God, I don't yeah, like dealing with that shit. Like the poison dagger and the assassin dagger. But they're they just don't have that many skills aside from like being able to steal items from enemies every so often. And like that just kind of happens naturally. And they're really agile. And they can you can go undetected. So if you're trying to avoid random battles for a while, you know there's no like you know, repels or anything, so you can't just avoid monsters. Yeah. So the thief is beneficial on that end. The dealer, I thought, like, only after I played the game did I learn this, you could, like, set up tent with the dealer as you're on the world map so you could get items as you need them. Oh, that's cool. And, like, stay at an inn. You could call the deal, like, the, the inn to come to you. That's legit. And so I underestimated the dealer class. <laughs> <laughs> well, after seeing, after seeing Bart, I wasn't going to hire any dealer. <laughs> so corrupt. Yeah. Um, in the uh, you mentioned the sage that one's unique because you can only upgrade it with that book, or or if you got a jester could, to level twenty, yeah. but you had to get the jester to level twenty, which actually I mean late game probably pretty doable. Yeah, early yeah, game sure you could just recruit no. a jester and do that, but the sage is really not going to save you that much by the end. No, I didn't actually find the sage to be in, in later versions of the game. The sage is like top tier like huge yeah. deal like in seven i remember like a sage is about as good as you can get um i didn't really feel that in this one although i like the, no. the expanded move list um yeah. the stats themselves were pretty low you're better off having a cleric with like kazing you know like the full revive ability yeah that was a really helpful spell to have um and with that it's worth talking about the personalities 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you tie into these different classes, you're actually supposed to match their personality to get the most out of it, which adds quite a wrinkle to the leveling up progression system that you were trying to achieve, which sure. again, again, pushes this way beyond like what Final Fantasy did. And this isn't a shot at Final Fantasy. It's, that was the first attempt and they're all growing right now. Um, but this makes it so much more complicated and interesting. And you find these books along the way that you can change your, your personalities and adjust in it. Uh, yeah. And where you, do you find those books too? In the bookshelves. Right. So like the, I love that about this game is that like, you know, not only do you want to talk with everyone, you want to interact with everything because there's these bookshelves with books that change your personalities to get maybe special books to help you to grow your class. Like, you know, to become a sage, you need a Zen book. So you'd have to look on the bookshelves. But then like uh, with the the personality max like stats, yeah. you know, it completely alters like, you know, depending on a, like a, if you pick a smart book, you're going to be like, you're going to have a smart character for like a mage or a sage or a cleric. And that's perfect because you don't need strength for them. Um, but you know, like there's other ones where it's maybe a luck stat or something. And sometimes even if you just like look in a mirror, it screws you up. Like it'll change your, your personality to vain. Or if you put like on bunny ears, <laughs> suddenly you're a lucky character who has sucky attack and it's like, oh shit. Like every little thing counts. Yeah. But, it, but there's how you, there's how you raise your, okay. So if you, you, you mentioned that you were like a Pokemon guy. Um, yeah. This is Pokemon, uh, before Pokemon, like the advanced Pokemon's before them. Yeah. I mean, this would be equivalent to probably the the what do you call it mating thing where you you raise you get a, an egg or children thing. They didn't do this in Pokemon until Gen three, where you had natures, and oh. so your personality would be the equivalent of a nature. And it, surprisingly, there are like as many in this as there are then, which is like fifteen twenty years later. Wow, that's good to know, um, because that's what people that play one of the reasons. And this again, you mentioned we we should tie into that. <laughs> 2006 article making it number three of favorite games of all time there yeah. is a group of people very dedicated to this game that like to min max to the umpteenth degree yeah. and what they do is they get a character they give him you know they give him a certain they, they're like a, a warrior or something they give him the strength stat or they give him the agility stat whatever stat they want him to be good at they give him the book that gives him the most of that stat mm -hmm. raise him as high as they can get him class change him to the next character that they want him to be give him the give that character the new book and make sure that that stat goes all the way up because every time it gets halved but it, sometimes it can get halved from already incredibly high heights and that's how right. they make the perfect party um mm -hmm. those people have a lot of time on their hands and they're not me but <laughs> but that that is why the 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 battle system and the the party system is so complex in this game that it it's beyond probably most dragon quests honestly in terms of complexity. i'll tell you what though if you take that hour or two to do that you're going to save yourself um two to three hours of grinding yeah yeah um if you take the the hour to do like one or one or two maybe <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it but it's really just an awesome system to invest yourself in those of you playing this game for the first time or second time whatever i highly encourage you to just look at the personality guys i would like go back and like like confirm these are all the books i have in my inventory right now it's not that i was going hunting books you know like i'm not I'm not like a, a book fiend you know or whatever you know i do read books but you know i'm not that that into this but uh you know i would just say like i have um like a smart book a brave book and uh you know a, a zen book and and this is my character this is what their stats are 
which one is going to give me the net positive rate for what I need it to for like vitality and for strength. And then I would pick that. And then I would use that for a while until I got more books. And I would just, you know, it's not that I would sink hours into it, but like I would, I would be aware of it as I was playing. And it did lead me to have a really good team. Yeah, this definitely is the way to go. And there's a really great guide. It's dragonquest.org wiki. They have a personality types thing in here, and they tell you which books to use to get the result you want. I mean, you got an Amazon here. Its strength is at 130%. Um, yeah. Looks like Bad Out of Hell is the good one for getting your agility up. It's 100% for everything except for agility. It's 140% growth. So that's just mm. representing how your stats grow. Um it, some of those books will be in the negative percentile, though, and some of them will just be at a flat. Absolutely. There's one called Mule, and it means it makes you stubborn. And uh, it's negative 90% stat growth. Yeah. If you So if you're not aware of it at all, of the stat changes, it could make this game a very hard time for you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? Ironically, Wimp, which makes you cowardly, uh, it's only negative 10% stat bonus. You'd think something like that would be a real game changer, but hmm, it doesn't seem so bad. Uh, but it also affects how fast you learn abilities, which matters to the characters that learn abilities. So that's an important one. I think that's the uh, wisdom stat. Helps you learn things faster. So, I think everything has a preordained level based on what character you are. If you're a sage or something. There's uh, there's a guide for that, like when you will get certain skills. Um, I thought that the the higher intelligence made you learn them faster. Are you sure? Are you uh, sure that wasn't in my experience? No, because I I purposely got my cleric to level thirty seven because it would get uh, revive at that level. Um. Um, maybe that's the case and I misread. Yeah, that that, that could easily be the case. And, and I, maybe I just misread the stat. List of spells in Dragon Quest III. Frizz, Hero, level 2. Mage, level 1. Sage, level 1. It, it, there's a whole list of these, and it tells you the level you get it at. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, scratch that one. <laughs> Ignore <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the personalities are super, super important. So... Don't neglect them if you're playing them. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, even if you just you don't have to go crazy on it, but like, trust me, like once you start looking at it, you're gonna you're gonna look at your books that you have that you've collected and go like, which one can I put on my hero? You know, and it's it is kind of fun. So. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it kind of get. I mean, it doesn't really, but it's kind of fun to know that your character is like a jerk or an Amazon or a a a, a wimp. <laughs> yeah because <laughs> um, there's not really much else characterization let's talk about baramos um you kind of you stumble upon it once you get ramia and it's one of the few places left you can go that you haven't visited before you're not able to visit it without ramia because like yeah. you it's, it's surrounded by mountains and you can't overcome them so you fly in there and it's really just like kind of a castle a weird castle because it seems to be broken up into different parts. Um, mm. And then, of course, you fight Baramos there. I remember you texted me about this place. What's your thoughts on Baramos and his his big old castle? Okay, so th 
I, I actually kind of like this castle, although it was, it was a little confusing. Not too bad, though. I remember some parts in like two and one being really confusing. Yeah. This game isn't particularly confusing with the dungeons or like the towers. I think they're all mostly straightforward. Although I do like some of the traps in some of the earlier ones, like in the pyramid, like you can fall to the bottom floor and you can't use magic. So you want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> um, in this one, there's like a couple staircases and it's kind of like visually interesting to see. And you have to go like in through the castle around the side. You can't go through the front door. You got to go through the back. Um, and then you end up in some courtyards and then like you, you go through um, this section and there's like a throne and sitting on the throne after you like cross all the hazardous terrain to get there is a skeleton of what you would imagine is the previous king. The only reason I was getting confused about where to go here is because you go south of that into this. It, you can't even tell it's a door. Yeah. It's just like a little black area to, to get to the next part. Yeah. Um, to get to like the basement to fight Baramos or whatever, whatever it is, the, the, the ceiling. So I just didn't know where I was going. <laughs> But, um, you know, the, the monsters are a little higher level here, higher than you may have been used to. And Baramos is a, a beast. He's pretty strong by this point in the game. Your character's probably around level 25 or so. And uh, he's just got some strong, um, like, full party attacks that are going to do some serious damage to you. I think the only reason I got through this part without a guide was because I remembered doing it a long time ago and remembered specifically... That door, yeah. that that literally like one one character wide hole in the wall, that yeah. like looks completely inconspicuous, and I don't even think should look like that. I think that must be like an oversight or something, because there's no reason to hide that. It's like a main entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not understand why that's there, uh, but but yeah, fighting Baramos was. I, I beat him the first try, and but the big caveat on there is basically a full party wipe. The only person left was my warrior. Um, mm. And I think she was at like within 14 HP or some, something like like the next turn it was going to be over. Um, yeah. And so she just carried the rest of my body or the rest of my bodies back home. <laughs> I love that about Dragon Quest boss battles. Like that was that happened to me at the final boss in two. So, you know, I can totally relate with that. <laughs> it's just like, well, if if push comes to shove, this guy's just going to keep attacking you <laughs> and <laughs> probably win. So yeah. that was awesome. Um, and it's great that the game just ended right there. And that was it. Baramos was defeated and everyone cheered for you. And hooray, you won. Just yeah. kidding. Baramos <laughs> is just a pawn from a guy named Zoma. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you have to go into the dark world which is also something that kind of just opened up to uh to find him and actually i think you're still finding your dad right like he's he's a uh... you haven't found him yet right so he supposedly like i don't know supposedly he's not here anymore because nobody's heard from him since he had fought baramos in this this area like of the map this cave this castle um, this volcano volcanic area in this part of the map, they say like that there's a hole that goes to the other side of the world and there's like some guards defending it. So you can't go down there until you've um, until Zoma has returned after you've defeated Baramos and says, ah, ha ha, you're not done. I'm going to terrorize the world. And so he opens a hole in the middle of the earth and, you know, but the <laughs> king 
of the of the castle town that you're in in the beginning of the game doesn't want anybody to know. So he's like, we have to cover this up. You can't tell anybody. I need you to go like, you know, uh, co covert ops and, uh, <laughs> you know, go take down Zoma. Nobody can know. So if you go at any other town in the in the core uh, map of the game, they think that you you save the world. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> just so good just, just great like little little nods to everything i i this game is just so great um and it's about to get better because you go through the dark world and you pop up in this weird cave and you claw your way out it's quite difficult um and you're like wait a minute why do i know this place like you, you kind of walk around you're like it's shaped in a way like i remember a place being here somehow and you walk and you're an Aleph guard. Yeah. And you don't recognize it at first or you don't have the ability to, because you can't use the map when you're there. Yeah. And you know, you've had the map since the beginning of the game. So you've come to rely on it as like a form of like, you know, just knowing where you're going, even when you're on the bird or, you know, if you're on the boat, just to kind of get a general sense of your bearings, you can't use it here. So it's like, how big is this world? You get to use a ship. But like the monsters are stronger. There's these giant jellyfish in the water, um, or I forget what they are exactly. Or it's the squids, like those like squid kids, but like the the daddy versions. Yeah. Um, and so a lot like you know if you go sail in the water, a lot of scary creatures. You know what happens when you sail to the edges? No, what happens? The water caves off. It's a flat world. Oh. Flat Earth there are waterfalls like <laughs> Flat Earth. Yep, Dragon Quest Three, <laughs> the origins of the conspiracy theory. Um, but yeah, it's like a little tapestry of Alephgard of the world in Dragon Quest One and Two. Wow, I could just see people being blown away at this at this back in the day. I mean, I certainly was to an extent, but back then, I mean, a plot twist like that. I, what like I'm thinking about the games that were coming out at the time. It's like Mario two or three or whatever it's gonna be at that time, and um, even like Zelda, like the first Zelda, like what um, Donkey Kongs and stuff is coming out. I don't even think Donkey Kong. No, no, that one didn't even come out yet. Um, like track and field would just some a game like that would be coming out. And then Dragon Quest Three wraps up a three RPG trilogy by traveling back in time to the first game and letting you be the hero that saved it. It's like, like <laughs> there, there's very different playing fields that these these people are on. Yeah, and it, it's hard to even like. I love that I get to experience this weird plot and this excellent twist. I can only imagine what it would have been like to experience it back then. Mm. I'd love yeah. to hear somebody tell me about that because there's nothing like it at the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's only 125,000 people that, or 90,000 90, people that, yeah. in, in America to, to tell the tale <laughs> of having bought the game, let alone gotten that far. Oh, I couldn't yeah. imagine very many people in the States getting to this point in the game. No, it's probably like 5,000 of those. Yeah, probably. Well, I wonder if um, some of them are just like, oh, Dragon Quest, that sounds pretty neat. Oh, this is terrible. I'll never do this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of Conan fans out there. Um, 
Yeah, and you know what? I just love all the throwbacks when you get there. It's not really obvious at first. Like, you go to these towns, and, like, I was just trying to parse together, like, what was going on. I understood this was a prequel or whatever. Um, but, like, you know there's that town in the first game where there's, like, a, a golem outside, and you have to fight it before you go into the town? Yeah, yeah. There was no rhyme or reason for that. You go into that town, and you talk to one of the guys, and he's like, I'm working on this project for this golem that can defend the town. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so there's a bunch of little nods like that uh, spruce throughout this version of Alephgard. Did you talk to the guy that was like, "I'm building. I'm. I think we want to build a key, and it opens. Yeah, if we can. Get Why don't you keys. show me that key so we can mass produce it? Yeah, so you're the reason that there are keys in Dragon Quest One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like little touches like that are so like God. You're just like they were just thinking of everything. Yeah, um, they were building the the uh, the cave mm-hmm. between the two towns or between the two continents. They were busy building that. Like, we hope to b- have this done soon. Yeah, it's just uh, they just they just wanted to do everything, and it makes you wonder. Okay, so this game has two maps, two pretty huge populated maps. Maybe the first one's a lot more huge and populated, but yeah. still, two maps. Dragon Quest Two. I mean, they're both the NES. Like, in terms of volume of anything you can possibly think of, isn't even close to this game. Mm. It's just, it makes you wonder, like, even in modern gaming, like, are they really pushing these things to the max, like, to, to what they can achieve? Because Dragon Quest Three feels like they've pushed the NES to basically all it can handle. I'd be, I wonder what Dragon Quest Four was like, but, but that's how I feel when I play Dragon Quest Three. Dragon Quest 3 was like a game and a half. You know, like they had the the one pack that had like the Dragon Quest 1, Dragon Quest 2. Those feel like both separate individual distinct games. And Dragon Quest 2 honestly felt like pretty decent. But Dragon Quest 2 felt like only the overworld map in Dragon Quest 3. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like not even the depth of the towns. I mean, even the, the towns in Dragon Quest 3... <laughs> Have so much character, so much excellent music, so much story, so much mm. depth. Even if you don't go technically with it, the story. And do you remember in Dragon Quest Two, there were no boss battles until the end? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's and nothing. so this one, this one is just so much more. Like it's everywhere. Like there's story. There's like hidden story. You know, there's there's like the thief Kandar who you fight a couple times and. You know, he's like begs you for his life afterwards. You know, yeah. there's a uh, the, this right. game just does so much better on all those fronts, and it's shocking. I didn't expect that. We we talked. I, about... I enjoyed Dragon Quest two for what it was, <laughs> and I, I stood up for it a little bit. Yeah, but you know, objectively, this is better on all fronts. We talked about Dragon Quest two had that one scene where it's like in a town, and like my daughter's being attacked by a, a demon. And yeah. she's like 10 paces away in this weird cutout that might be a house. I'm not sure. But it's just right. like a weird cutout and she's being attacked. If you compare that to like any quest from Dragon Quest 3 or coming to town and solving a problem, it, it feels like it's from a different era of gaming. Mm-hmm. It's the Dragon Quest 3 dwarfs two, And it's I feel like it's kind of redundant to say one, but of course it dwarfs one. And in just about in, in literally every way. Like it's not... Mm. You can't even really argue it. it, and I think most people have come to terms with that. Is that three is just like the pinnacle of the of the the original trilogy, and it's hard to to go back. It'd be very difficult. 
to go back, but you have to do it in that original order one, two, three, because you can't appreciate. Well, first off, you can't fully appreciate three without having experienced the 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 quirks, oddities, mechanics, and all of that of one. How would you know to make any special thing out of the golem in front of the town in one? You wouldn't. You know, how would you know to um, make anything special of your name, like as a character in the line of of Loto or in the Erdrick line, you know, yeah. of the legendary hero? They reference that once in like Dragon Quest One or so. Like they mention, oh, you're the legendary hero, um, but that doesn't mean anything. How would you know to make special, you know, meaning out of the armor that your main character is wearing in this game or in Dragon Quest One, other yeah. than the fact that they like reverse engineer a lot of that into Dragon Quest Three. <laughs> yeah. You almost think you could skip two in the long run. I don't recommend it, but if you're short on time, <laughs> you could you could play <laughs> one and then be like, and then two happened. And then <laughs> three. You could start at three. Yeah. Um Yeah. But but there's obviously value in two as well. But Yeah. Um so you enjoy this world a little bit. I mean, you're actually there quite a while because of the difficulty in monsters. So there's a bit of a farming gap here. Um, and you follow sort of a, a familiar pattern, getting the Staff of Rain, um, the Rainbow Drop eventually to create the bridge, yada, yada. But um, a familiar trope that, that happens that connects, again, three to one. And you end up back at <laughs> At the old castle where it all began. Well, I guess where the first one ended. And um, we're fighting the true enemy, which is Zoma. But first, you got to get through that hell of a castle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you find... I mean, this is a pretty deep castle. With, I mean, you could farm in there and just get quite a few levels um, every time. Did you... What did you think about this end castle? This was not nearly as. Uh, yeah. This is my only gripe with Dragon Quest Three is that I didn't feel that same sense of like big, deep, intimidating, challenging cave. Mm. Honestly, the first game had that over the other two games. Okay, I agree. And so, like this one was kind of a breeze, like to to kind of find your way through. There was like a couple trap like staircases, you know, in the um immediately when you go in it's like you think oh maybe go down the stairs and no it wasn't you actually just have to go around them and then there's another one with some interesting floor panels and you know it messes with your directional input so if you press up you'll actually go left and then there's pits so you'll like fall onto the bottom floor those were kind of cool but i never had problems with them yeah you know once you figure out the trick it's just kind of intuitive the thing was the grind was real having to get to the appropriate level for uh zoma was intense and especially considering your, you know, classes that you had and just everything in tandem. And two, you don't have a choice. You have your party and you're just going to grind and get them as high as possible. And three, you really begin to wonder, did I make the right party? Is, is there things I can do to improve them? You also need to keep in mind, are my equipments all up to speed? Do I have, like, did I buy with all the funds available to me? things that I could, you know, selling the items, etc. And so by now, it's really just like, you, you are really reflective of the entire party. 
in a way that you weren't in the first two games. In the first game, you were like level 22 before you could defeat the Dragon Lord. Yeah. You know? And two, you just grinded the hell out of your way to get there. And three, it's more of like um, just being hyper aware of the party. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Three, I mean, three, and that's a credit to the fact that it's a big stat grind. But three, three stats matter. And picking the right stats matter because, and you have to actually actually pick them. Whereas in, in two, I mean, every character kind of, this character could use this item. And it's not like you're going to pick anything crazy because, <laughs> because the prince sucks and he can use these set <laughs> items. And the princess of Moonbrook, whatever her name was, was uh, she had set items. And there was no real thought necessarily to, you know, itemization. You give her the best dress, you give him the best armor, you give yourself the thing that hits the hardest, and yeah. that's about where that ends. In this one, you have a wide variety. I mean, you could have a fighter. He doesn't use the same items as the warrior. You, you itemize those two differently, even though they are kind of, in a way, the same character. They just The itemization is different. Um, you have characters... You have, you have a sage versus a mage versus a cleric. At a certain point, you could have a combination like that. So how do you itemize that? How do you itemize your, your other character? How do you itemize your hero? I mean, you might want to focus more on his spell power since you've got that, a, a warrior or a fighter that can do all the physical damage. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things change how you approach it, which was completely... De- I mean, one, there's like five items anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. There's nothing, no choices there. So this game, you and, the, and when you do go through that gauntlet, you start thinking about that, like, whoa, I got wiped out. Um, what could I have done differently? Like, is my armor right? Like, what is going on here? Um, and so, yeah, you're totally right that the stats uh, play much a much bigger role in Dragon Quest Three than the other ones, especially in the end game here. It, but those leading monster units are not nearly as challenging as they were especially in Dragon Quest 2. Dragon Quest 2 just had monster difficulty like I don't want to say perfect but to that level of like real high challenge. Dragon Quest 1 had that level of um like exploration difficulty, like you know really finding your way through caves and castles. That had that really good. This one has boss battles that are I don't want to say completely unmatched to your surrounding enemies, but that really require you to invest in grinding. In addition to also having the best possible party. Um, And so that was a real challenge. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the bosses. Um, The mainly I want to talk about uh, the big dragon and then Zoma and the big dragon, of course, kills your dad in front of you. This is the, the big moment you've been searching for him the whole time. Even people here in the Aleph guard have mentioned they've seen him. And of course he's in the last dungeon. You find him and he gets his own like battle cut scene, which is pretty bizarre. I, I, I pre it's one of those. I appreciate that they did it. <laughs> I'll say that it looks a little corny. It's not incredible, but it's amazing that they attempted it. And, and I'm so impressed by it. And, um, and then he's dead. <laughs> you remind you told me earlier to remind you of the moment where your birthday comes up. Oh, okay, yeah, hit me with it. So, after 
this, uh, you know, this three-headed dragon, you know, gets done dueling your father. And you, you watch the whole battle go out. And he tries to catch. This is crazy. So he tries to cast, like, mid-heal a couple times. And he keeps attacking him. I was half expecting to be able to join the battle and, like, fight alongside him. Yeah. Which would have been so cool, fight alongside your dad. But that's not the direction they took, which is fine. I understand it. Um, he's casting mid-heal. And then, you know, going on attacking the, the dragon. He tries to cast mid-heal again, but he doesn't have any magic power left. Yes. And so then he just goes on, tries to keep attacking it after realizing he didn't have enough magic power. And then he just keeps getting attacked and attacked and attacked. And then you see your father just like collapse after this whole game of searching for him. And when you go into dialogue with him afterwards, he says, oh, you know, can you hear me? Just please fulfill my last request. Let my son know, you know, find the child who was born on this date and tell him that his his father loves him. And I was like, oh my God, there's that moment from the beginning of the game when you inputted your commands about what kind of character you are, and, you know, when your birthday <laughs> is and like, you know, what's your astrological sign? And, you know, that they came full circle. And even yeah, though it, it didn't do it in a way that hit me in the same way that future Dragon Quest will, you know, four, five, seven, eight, eleven, um, six, maybe. I don't know. I have to play it. Um, Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I respect this one for trying. It is. Well, and it's, it's kind of weird. Like, it's cool that they did that. But in thinking about it, it's kind of weird, like. You go into a town, it's like, was anybody born on January 8th of 1923? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was born in the Great Depression. <laughs> oh. But interesting moment. You, again, it's tragedy. Like, you think that it's going to be like, you find your dad and you're like, hey, everybody's, everybody's happy. We're alive. And then you hold his hand and run off into the sunset. Um. Hmm doesn't happen he's dead <laughs> so just kind of end i mean not the ends but that's it like he's good yeah that was the saga you found ortega <laughs> only just to watch him get murdered ruthlessly it was almost kind of like well i mean yes it was tragic but it was like is this a joke yeah you know that's kind of what i was thinking at that point it's almost like a freddy got fingered situation or something where it's just like they put this thing in front of you and just kill it like <laughs> like like oh like a story would normally especially at the time would be like oh you become you know you save him and you guys are friends now and he's like go on to fight zoma i'll be backing you up and nope just dead yeah <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of that uh you do end up fighting zoma and you go through a gauntlet of uh baramos and then a couple other bosses um and this is the final skill check man how was it uh first time i fought him i got my ass whooped uh, so, you know, I was, I was confused at first. So, uh, footnote, I completely forgot that you got an item called the ball of light and that you were supposed to use it on Zoma. Yeah. So the first couple of times I tried, uh, fighting with him, um, I just tried fighting and I was doing normal damage, but when he would like, you know, you go into the battle with him, he's like this big hulking priest like figure, you know, evil looking priest. And in the Super Nintendo version, you would watch the animation and his jaw would drop and his eyes would bulge. He looked like some kind of zombie or something. And he released this blue flame. And it would do like 300, 200 damage. 
Oh, shit. Or like 100 damage. And, you know, my party's HP was at that time, like, maybe I had some characters with 300. Oh, gosh, I was getting crushed. And so um, I was like, dang, I really got to grind. And so, um, you know, I would put the, put some music on or podcast on. And I would I would go grind and, you know, fight some metal slimes and get some XP. Um, but then I just realized, like, oh, I can use the ball of light on him. So I did. I used the ball of light. He says, wow, you found my weakness. You dispelled my shields. And that's when the real battle begins. Only nothing's different except a color palette change. Hmm. <laughs> so all the damage you do is the same. All the damage he does is the same. There are no differences as far as I could tell. Wait, there um, weren't any differences stat-wise? No, nothing. No differences. But um, I made a executive decision to change my cleric into a warrior. Um, after getting my cleric to level 37 because I wanted the revive spell. All my other characters had Vivify, which has a 50% chance of working, versus Revive works all the time. And also my cleric was getting wiped out because the HP was like 200 at level 37, which was just not enough. And so I, I spent that. like a good two hours grinding, um, maybe, and I got her up to 36 as a warrior, and she ended up being a beast. And I had like three characters with like 400 HP, and, and the battle was I wouldn't say it was a cinch, but it was like I had it in the bag. Yeah, um, that would help a lot. <laughs> um, you, oh, you get um, another item too. I forget what it's called. It's like a little bell, you can ring it infinitely, and it restores like 100 HP to all your characters. So I was using that with of my sage. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, he he does something that a lot of the people do in the, in most Dragon Quest now, which is constantly cast that move that undoes any stat bonuses. Right. Oh, I get and it. And sap didn't work either. You couldn't lower his defense. Yeah, and that we've talked about that before. That's just kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, but he was he was a beast. Um, and and it put puts you in that constant state of well my mate my my people need to be using a buy kill that was buy kill in our yeah version. it's normally oomph but oomph. in this in our version it was buy kill it's like use rotations of oomph and i think if you do some of that it forces him to use that one that negates spells i think sometimes he's smart he would enough. just use it stupidly though like you didn't have any increases and he would use it ah uh, okay okay because um, part of me was like, I guess I'll just use it to make sure that he keeps using it. But maybe it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Um, but yeah, you're constantly kind of fighting with the stats in that way. It's like a tug of war, which is funny. Um, yeah. And then he he does some pretty nasty AoEs. But yeah, he once you once you get a high enough level and you, you got some HP behind you, you can sort of keep up as long as you keep the healing up. But yeah, I love these end boss fights and all these dragon quests. They're freaking slaughter fest. <laughs> this was the first one that was not a two-parter yeah. as well. All the other ones had a priest and then a monster. This was just him as the priest, but it was like the priest combined with the monster. Yeah, and I guess in a way it's it's similar because this one had the multiple. Um, oh, yeah, it was like a boss rush kind of thing. Yeah, like a weird boss rush, which it's like you could have put these throughout the game and it might have been better. But I guess I guess I appreciate that they want to make the end really hard. Um, mm -hmm. But they were kind of forgettable. Really, we're just here for Zoma. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually you do beat him. Uh, let me read this epilogue real quick. 
Upon defeating Zoma, you, be, you may begin to make your retreat from the castle when the ground starts to shake, the floors crack open, and you fall into the ground below. Ironically, you are ejected from the fissure found in the lowest level of the North Cave, where you found the Shield of Heroes. You will make your way out of there, and as you round this corner of the staircase to the hallway, that extra hallway will crumble and collapse, leaving the dungeon in the same state it will be found in the original game. As you exit from the cave, it will seem as though, as though the whole back to your original world closed up. In fact, you attempted to cast return. If you attempted to cast return or use a wing of wyvern, you'll find that your choices are limited to the five towns of Alifgard. Make your way back to Castle Tantagel for congratulations from the king and a victory celebrations from the citizens nearby. When the credits will roll until a final message appears on the screen to be continued in Dragon Warrior. Mm-hmm. A dragon orb mm-hmm. will flash on the screen. Cycling through the six colors of the orbs you have to collect. Congratulations. There you go. There's the end of Dragon Quest 3. Woohoo! <laughs> um, I love that whole ending thing where you're just like running through. It's it's so like late 80s, early 90s epic movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like the patch of ground right before, like right behind you falls, but you're okay. Yeah. So like there's like this kind of action escape sequence and it's like am I gonna be okay? Am I running fast enough? You know, you can only run so fast because you're a sprite on an RPG, but like <laughs> you still want to get to the end and you, just in case. Well, we did it, Teddy. Yeah, Spence. <laughs> the Eldrick trilogy, the 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 legacy of Loto. Having fully completed the Erdrick Trilogy, the Lodo Trilogy, whatever you want to call it, how does it hold up and where, what's its place in the Dragon Quest saga? Two very good questions. Uh, the trilogy as a whole holds up very well in the sense that there's not too many old school RPGs that tell such a similar story like it and you know i'm willing to branch out and like compare it to you know non-jrpgs like let's just say zelda right like if you're going to compare it to zelda zelda 2 and link to the past what's the connection between those three games i don't know they're all different one's like a a top down the other's a you know a a side scroller then there's another top down you know zelda 2 is the black sheep so you got the second one being the black sheep okay final fantasy one two and three well we didn't even get final fantasy like you know two or three (laughs) you know dragon quest one two and three are also vastly different and technologically different from one another and three is just the culmination of all of that being um as perfected as i think it could have been by that time Mm -hmm. be it 88 or 92 or whatever in between and so I I think it's it's really it's really um special in that regard. You know, I know you could look at like Fantasy Star and, and maybe make some arguments there. I don't really know much about Fantasy Star. Um, but to me, Dragon Warrior one, two, and three are the classics, the founders, and uh they they have their own merits. And each one is special in different regards. I kind of alluded to it throughout the podcast, but you know, I love one for its sense of um, exploration and embarking on the journey as the lone hero. And two, I love that sense of um, exploring the world as subdued kind of heroes and feeling kind of humbled in your experience. Mm-hmm. In three, it's like 
you are the party. You and the party are on a quest together. And sometimes you go through changes and sometimes you change your classes and sometimes you need to make drastic decisions to change everything. But the experience is going to be memorable and you're going to walk out all the more rewarded for it. And although none of them are perfect in any of those regards, I think they all tell a great tale that is uh, well connected by the end. Wow. I don't think I could say it better. Um, Plus, they've got a bitchin' soundtrack. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it, was, it was very fun to go back and play Dragon Quest 1 through 3. I'm happy we got to do it together. Mm. Um, what a blast. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see its place. Because when I first did it, I hadn't beaten the other ones. I hadn't beaten, I started one, got all the way to three, but at that time I hadn't actually beaten four, five, six, probably seven, probably eight, yeah. actually any of them. So th those were the first three I've truly beaten at the time. And uh, I, didn't, I don't know that I fully saw like the evolution. I mean, clearly you can see the evolution from one to three, but when you, yeah. when you start making the connections back to four, five, um, even seven, you can start seeing. You still see some of those tenuous connections, especially the three. It's like, it's like, man, I they were thinking about all this basically before I was born. As how long ago they were already thinking about these things that I think of now, and I'm like, oh, that was cool in seven. How you you you've altered your class, and there's all these branching paths for the classes and stuff. They were thinking about this all the way back in 1988. They're just trying to get yeah. get all this mastered. So it's fun to think of that. And it makes you wonder, too, how far back they thought of some of these that made it just to three. Like maybe one, they were thinking, like, man, what if you could change classes? And what if you could be able to... mm -hmm. So, and, and, and think about Ultima and all those games. They probably did think about some of that stuff and saying, well, it's too hard right now. Maybe we'll, we'll try next year when we release Dragon Quest yeah. <laughs> 2. Uh, as far as, un unfortunately, and it still holds true to me, but. If I were to recommend Dragon Quest to people, I still don't think I would ever recommend one through three. I don't know what your mm. thoughts are on that, but I would definitely say like eight. I mean, I would say 11 is, God, the most easy to get, but eight is great. Um, I have a warm, warm spot for four that I just, <laughs> I can't help but recommend that to people. But I, the I unfortunate yeah. truth about Dragon Quest one through three is that all of the future games, with possibly the exception of nine and maybe six to some people, are better standalone titles mm -hmm. than any of these as standalone titles. What I would recommend, though, is one through three. I wouldn't recommend any of them as a standalone experience. Yeah, yeah. If you were just going to play one of the Dragon Quest games, I would not pick from one through three. If you were going to explore the uh, roots of the RPG as a series and even as a genre, I would totally recommend one through three. And it's really special. You asked the question, what is its place in the Dragon Quest, you know, series as a whole or brand? Um, you said it before. It's technically the only trilogy. You know, the really, Zenithian yeah. trilogy is a trilogy, but they're all very loosely connected and they're all their own thing. And it's hard to say that six is the culmination of anything four and five. Those are arguably like, you know, their own masterpieces. Um, yeah. One 
one's evolution to three is really a sight to behold. And even though, like, I know we said, like, you could skip over two, it is good to play two and then see just what is accomplished between one, two, and three. Oh, absolutely. Three is, or one through three is the journey. Each, Mm. Each of the other ones are standalone great. But one through three is like a historical, like, botanical garden walk through um through through game design and through learning something that i mean you wouldn't care you wouldn't compare it to any modern game or anything i mean dragon quest 3 in some ways you could say is better than modern gaming in in certain ways but but yeah in general it has to be the three together i i I don't see any other way i would ever recommend this these games to to anybody especially like call of duty people forget it no, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. There's no way they'd play two specifically two. <laughs> um, as, well, that's the legacy of Dragon Quest Three and the Urdric trilogy. Uh, are there any other parting messages you want to talk about with the uh, Dragon Quest Three? Uh, the small metals—they're great. <laughs> What's the point? Oh, you, you do tiny actually. Metals? You do actually like yeah. at the very beginning are able to trade. I did not know that until like the very end. <laughs> I love that. Oh well, you know what? Um, I think I played in the when I played the Game Boy Color version years ago. They also had monster medals, and when you would defeat a certain monster a certain number of times, you would get the medal for that monster. And so there's a certain collectible fun to it. And also with the tiny metals, they're in these like places, like a lot of them you would expect. It's like you press on a gravestone or like, you know, you, you look in a pot or it's like, if there's like an odd formation on the ground. And so just like discovering them, like, like there is kind of that thrill. to like, Oh yeah. Like there's a tiny metal and you get some good, uh, good weapons out of them. I got like a, a flame orang for one of my characters, a flaming boomerang. So like, I, don't, I don't know. That was cool. They're like the Metroid, uh, Missile canisters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just pop up where you least expect them. <laughs> Ultimately, though, completely unnecessary. Unlike in Metroid, where you need as many missiles as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all I got, man. It's been a pleasure to have you on here, and I can't wait for whatever we decide to do next. And we literally, like, I'm not trying to hide it from the audience. We legit do not know what we're going to do next. Yeah, so. it's up in the air. It could be anything. <laughs> So, but this was this was great, Spencer. I was uh, happy to partake, and definitely looking forward to more Dragon Quest to come. We can consider Dragon Quest Three archive. Archive. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. Take it easy.